as soon as I did that, and I said, I said to myself, it's, it's okay to be an artist and it's okay to be a craftsman and it's okay to be a metal worker and it's okay to be kind of a knucklehead some days and super creative other days. It's okay. And as soon as I let all those labels go, I really started to enjoy my career and subsequently became much more successful. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Andrew Crawford, who is the owner of Andrew T. Crawford Ironworks in Atlanta, Georgia. So Andrew is a metal worker, but he is really more of like a metalwork artist would be the proper term. He is an artist by background and just really fell in love with the medium of metal and working with metal. So he'll explain why that is during the episode, just like you know, how unique and cool metal can be to work with. And he'll take us through being both an artist and also being somebody that can make these functional pieces for people. So Andrew both makes things that are in museums and are in art galleries. And he'll also make you a fence for your backyard, but it'll be like the absolute most badass, cool looking fence you could ever imagine. So without further ado, here is Metal Worker. Andrew, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'd like to start with how did this become a career for you exactly? So on my show, I interview people both about their careers and their hobbies. And I meet people every so often that, that really like working with metal or like working with wood or you know whatever it is, doing some sort of hands-on crafty thing. But almost none of those people that I meet can make a career out of it. It's just a hobby for them, you know? So, like, when did this become a career for you and how? Well, when I was in art school, finishing up at art school, uh, I got the feeling that I was going to really miss the opportunity to be able to make things every day and explore the craft of metalworking and specifically metal fabrication and blacksmithing. So when I graduated... I kind of looked at my situation. Some of my friends had gone and made studios where they supported their studios with other work. Uh, some people, you know, they got night jobs, they got day jobs, and then they worked in their studios. I realized, I realized early on that in order to maintain a metal shop and maintain a place where I could continue the work that I was doing in school, that I had to be self-sufficient as a metal worker. It wasn't a part-time job. There's too much to maintain. There's too much equipment needed. And so I started looking at the commercial application of the things that I had learned in art school, which were metal fabrication, blacksmithing, drawing, designing, and found that there was a pretty good market for the kind of things that I liked making. Uh, and they would support the facility that I wanted to create the artwork that I had been making for the last four years. So to answer the question of when when I turned it into a career, it, it never wasn't a career. I mean, I did have 
I did have part-time jobs that helped me get started. And I had some support from my family. And, um, but right from the beginning, uh, I was making things for people. Obviously, at the very beginning, it was mostly repairing things for people. That's what I was just going to say. That's really (laughs) nice, right? That with the type of art that you went into, there is a practical application to it. Because yeah, I guess for your friends, let's say you went into painting or something like that. You just have to have somebody appreciate the artwork of it, and that's it. Like, there's nothing practical that someone can do with a painting. They just hang it on their wall. But for you with metalwork, there's this whole other side of things where you can make very practical things for people to use, or I guess, like you said, even repair something for someone. Absolutely. One, one of my favorite things about being a metal worker is that I can build a monumental sculpture... I can build a coffee table. I can build a garden gate. I can fix a broken piece of lawn furniture, or I can weld the bumper back on your car. And all those things, regardless of where you hold those things in some sort of priority structure, all those things require the same equipment and the same skills. And they all, they all fix a problem and they all they they all complete a job and i've always loved that about metalwork that if you can put your ego aside there's always something to do yeah man what um what do you first consider yourself andrew do you first consider yourself an artist or a metal worker the uh, the question of art artist versus craftsman versus metal worker it's it's a tricky question. I, I'm really both. Um, what I, I guess what I really am is I'm a I'm a guy who has a creative career. My job is to be creative every day, um, and whether that's being a metal worker or a designer or a salesman or a blacksmith or a sculptor, whatever that is, um, it really. It can depend on the day. It can be- depend on the minute. I wear a lot of hats in my career, but the one thing that ties all those things together is that I'm creative every day. And some at some capacity, I'm forced to use my skills as a creative person. So if that means I'm an artist, uh, and that that and that that uh, the qualities of being an artist allow me to be a metal worker and they allow me to be a designer that that's one way to look at it or if you think of it that i'm a metal worker and sometimes i make art and sometimes i make functional stuff uh so it's really it's difficult to say and it's really cool man because i I feel like a lot of people try to um for whatever reason just like identify with a label more one way or the other because like that it would be like oh well you know, I'm an artist, but I happen to make some more basic metalwork things just because I have to or whatever. Or or like I'm a metal worker and I do some like nice artsy stuff because it seems that people like that. But really at my core, I'm just a metal worker. It's nice that you get to kind of dip in and out of all those things and you seem to appreciate them all the same. Well, Blake, it's not always been that clear to me. Um, when, when I first started my career, I did want... I wanted to compartmentalize my career. I wanted to be, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a sculptor 
And I convinced myself that the only reason I was doing functional work was to support my career as an artist. And several years after I got cooking and I was doing well, I realized, you know what? I'm pretty good at making stuff that's not artwork. Pretty good at making furniture. Pretty good at making gates. And I like it. I enjoy it. It fulfills me artistically. It's a good use of my talent. It's a good way to make a living. And I embraced it. And as, as soon as I did that, and I said, I said to myself, it's, it's okay to be an artist, and it's okay to be a craftsman, and it's okay to be a metal worker, and it's okay to be kind of a knucklehead some days and, and super creative other days. It's okay. And as soon as I let all those labels go, I really started to enjoy my career and subsequently became much more successful. Dude, that that is beautiful. That, like that is such great advice for anyone. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the um, the ironworking and the metalworking itself. So first of all, just so I can start calling this what it should be called, um, like your your company has the name Ironworks in it, and I know that iron would be the primary metal. But do you work with other metals as well, or, or is it just iron? We work with all different types of metal. Um, the the title Ironworks um, is a sort of a traditional term for any kind of ironworking shop. Um, I think that the um, the word iron is sort of a slang, and ironworker uh, doesn't really exist anymore. We don't use iron anymore. We use steel as our primary material, and steel is an alloy, which is almost... 100% iron, but it does have lots of trace metals in it, and it has lots of different qualities. We work all metals almost exactly the same. We we buy sheets and bars and tubes and channels. We cut them down to smaller sizes. We shape them. Sometimes we weld them back together. Sometimes we bolt them together. But it's basically the same process with all different metals. What is the process of working with metal for those of us that uh, that don't know? There's a lot of different ways that we work with metal. If you if you think about using scissors and glue, that's a very similar way that we work with metal. We take our material, we cut it into smaller pieces, and then we take those pieces and we stick them together to make whatever it is we want to make. So if you think about making a table, we build a frame, we buy our pieces of metal in long strips, we cut those strips into shorter pieces, and we weld them into a frame. Then we cut more pieces, however long we want the legs, and we weld those legs onto the frame, and we have a table. So that's the simplified version how we decorate that frame, how we texture that frame, the sophistication or the, the level at which we want to connect the legs to the frame or even connect the frame to itself. Those are all the things that influence the way that the table looks. But that would be considered fabrication. We actually fabricate the table. And instead of gluing it together, we weld it or we bolt it or we rivet it. Or we use traditional joinery like woodworking. We use mortise and tenon joints. 
we use uh, lap joints. There's all different kinds of ways to fabricate metal. The other way that we make things is that we take the metal and we heat it up to a, to a, a very high heat such that the metal becomes soft. It becomes a plastic. And then through heat and force, we can manipulate the material into the shapes that we choose to manipulate it into. We can twist it, we can bend it, we can stretch it, we can hammer it, we can do all different kinds of things to it to change its actual physical shape. And that is called forging. So the, the two ways that we work with metal at the ironworks is we fabricate and we forge. And those are two really versatile ways to work with metal. The third way that we would work with metal, which we do not do because we're not set up to do it, would be called casting. And that would be where you take your material and you heat it to the point that it is an actual liquid. And then you pour it into a mold. And that mold is a, a shape of whatever it is that you're trying to make. We don't cast at the ironworks. We don't have a facility. That's a whole nother industry. Um, but forging and fabricating, I have found that you can almost make anything with those two techniques. And it, it's, a, it's far more interesting to me. It employs much more problem solving. Um, the range of things that we can do is much more vast. And it seems to me personally, it seems to make for a much more interesting career. Yeah, it seems like you can do anything. So, like, take us through making one single sunflower. Okay, so the sunflowers are the sunflowers are really interesting. Uh, it's a beautiful object. If you if you look at a sunflower, the geometry in the head is really amazing. So we we start with a drawing. Well, I start looking at pictures, right? Or we start looking at real sunflowers. We start looking at the, the forms and the, the, the different shapes that make up the flower. So it goes, it goes to a drawing. We go to the water jet cutter. We cut the blanks out. We cut circles. We cut triangles. We cut these diamond shapes. We cut these things that look like starfish. Uh, we cut all these crazy shapes out. Then we take those shapes. We take them to the forge. We get them red hot. We shape them. We shape them with chisels, with hammers, with hydraulic presses. We have all these different tools that we use to integrate marks into them and then to actually bend and form the individual pieces into this sort of natural looking surface. Then we go back to the welding table. We put it all together. We use welders, put everything back together, weld, build this giant sunflower head. And then we take finishing tools and we clean it up. We polish the edges. We get all the soot and the, and the, the smoke and the, the scale off of it so that we bring the shine back up out of the metal. We do the same things with the leaves. We cut the blanks out. We heat them up. We form them. We sink them, press them, fold them. Anything you can think of. To think, of a, think of a leaf. You've never seen two leaves that are exactly the same. These things all have to be pushed into the material using tons and tons of pressure and thousands of hammer blows and, and clamps and vices and all these different tools. And then we weld it all together and we 
and it looks like a sunflower. It's incredible. Yeah, Except it really it's is. made out of metal. And, you know, it's like you, you look at it and you think, well, that must have just happened. But it didn't. I mean, it took it took <laughs> thousands and thousands of very intentional actions to come to the conclusion that we call this metal sunflower. It's so funny, man. You're so right. <laughs> the way you say that, event, that you would look at that and just say, oh, that just happened. It's like somehow we... I guess because of the thing, because of the fact that uh, there's so many incredible things around us all the time, that you assume that a lot of it is just kind of like machine stamped or just you know came to life or whatever it was. But yeah, that did not at all just happen. Like that was so many hours and so many uh, like uh, intentional decisions to get that thing to look like a sunflower. Yeah, and it's. And it's amazing, you know, when it's done and you step back and you look at it, and you, you don't, you don't count the hammer blows. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't worry about the three or four leaves that ended up in the trash because they didn't look as good. You don't worry about that stuff. Uh, the end result fixes everything. It, 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 it makes everything okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. Let's talk about the genre of stuff you make that you call ornamental ironwork. So if I'm understanding that correctly, that would be something that is more or less functional, but that you're making it kind of artistic, right? Like a really unique one-of-a-kind fence or something like that. That's correct. An an ornamental iron gate might be um, something like the sunflower gate that's on the cover of my website. Okay, so... When did you first start getting work like that? And, and like, how did you get work? Who's buying this stuff? And I just can't imagine, like, how how, you, how much it costs and, like, how, how the profit works out on this. Because, so, like, that Sunflower Gate you were talking about, it, it, I read that you, t- it takes about three weeks with four or five guys working on it straight for three weeks to make the gate. Like... I just don't understand. Like, that's so labor intensive. Like, I don't understand how you could even really like make profit on something like that when you've just had to pay five guys for three weeks to make it. Well, they're expensive. That's for sure. And the, and yet, and I don't sell a lot of them, but I also don't make a lot of them. You know, they're, they're very special and, um, they're not for everybody. Um, but the thing about the thing about the time is, you know, when, when the project's done, and it's finished and it's in it's there in real life who cares how long it took you know who cares it's done yeah um and that's the thing about being somebody who makes things uh the reason that we make things and the reason that we're driven to make things is because we need to see them in real life we need to know that that an idea that was in your head or a concept that was in your sketchbook can become a real thing now, we don't make a lot of money on those gates. There's a, there's a lot of money in them. There's a lot of time in them. Um, and you weigh your jobs. You weigh your jobs. Some jobs are more profitable than others. But those are the kind of jobs, those are the kind of jobs that I sort of measure my, I, I measure my talent and I measure my craft on those things where I've really pushed it and have taken it to the absolute limit, made something that's absolutely as intricate and as and as fine and as and as dynamic as I possibly can. Those are the things that 
that, that make me the artist or the craftsman that I am. So with some of these larger ornamental works or some of the really um, just like large pieces that you're making, are your primary customers like like cities and stuff? Is that is that who's buying this? Um, some of our larger customers are um, colleges. Um, we have worked for some municipalities, uh, botanical gardens, museums, these kind of institutions that, that 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 have a lot of money and they have a lot of they have a lot of presence. Uh, they're sort of our target client for the bigger things. But then, of course, I have some private clients, you know, individual residences that they buy things that would blow some people's minds, the amount of money that people spend on their homes. Uh, and it's a it's a priority. It's a choice that people make. And um I'm just glad that there's people out there that have that priority and that they're willing to invite me into that process. Because uh, when you work with a private homeowner on something that's going to enrich their lives and enrich their home, it's really exciting to have that kind of opportunity. Absolutely. Something that really expanded my mind with regard to that is yesterday's actually the episode that i just released yesterday of the show was with a, a street artist um that paints murals on buildings like a he also is a graffiti artist his name's cameron moberg and he was just the most interesting wonderful guy and he was talking about how how ironic and interesting it is that when you have a contractor come to work you know with a building or a home or whatever it is and says oh it's going to be you know $20,000 to paint this whole building white for you, you know, or to like repaint your building or to finish it or, you know, re-roof it, whatever, that no one bats an eye at that. It's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, $20,000 to get my building white and, you know, refinished. That's totally cool. And he's like, yet as an artist, I'll come to somebody and, want, you know, paint this amazing work for them. And you say like, okay, that's going to be like $20,000 to paint this entire building. And everyone wants to like deal or scoff at that or say, oh, like what? No, like I'll give you only 10,000. And it's like how strange the way that we're programmed that we're of all things not valuing this beautiful artistic piece and that some sort of regular contractor thing um, is kind of not a big deal. So how you just said the amount of money that some people will pay would like blow people's minds. But it's like, you know, I mean, think of the things that you have to pay for as a homeowner anyways. Like if you want to build a back deck or if you want to get a a pool put in it's like you know you're looking at minimum like a hundred thousand dollars to get a pool dug or something in your backyard so if you get a beautiful steel fountain or something instead like isn't that just as good of a spend of that money yeah it, and it, it all comes down to priorities um almost uh almost everybody's driving around in an automobile that costs more than most of the gates that I build. My gates are going to last forever. Automobiles, they might be at the bottom of a landfill in 10 years. Who knows? But that's a priority. Uh, it, it's not uh, a good or bad thing. It's just where people choose to put their money. Yeah. Um, and like I said before, when someone chooses to put that kind of money uh, into something that I've made and that supports me, and that supports my staff and my family. Um, I'm very grateful always, but I certainly don't. 
I certainly don't think poorly of people who would rather uh, have a nice car than something that I've made. That's it's none of my business. And there's enough people. <laughs> there's enough people either that would rather have the gate or that can afford to have both. That uh, I stay very busy. So I have no- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So with the fact that you do a lot of custom pieces, like when you do a custom piece, are you having to quote people a price? before or after the piece is done because these can take so long how do you know ahead of time i i never start a piece uh without a a, a firm contract price um and we don't really do contracts but um we send documentation of how much it's going to cost and when it will be delivered and then there's usually some sort of payment schedule that way, uh, everybody has a very clear idea of what the piece is going to be and how much it's going to cost. So, Andrew, I'd like to talk about like what the last five to ten years has been like for you, and if there's been any sort of like shift that you've seen in clientele and the number of people that are interested in what you're doing. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, the more time that you put into something, the more successful you're going to be, anyways. But I feel like just from my point of view in the last five to 10 years, there's been kind of this like, uh, for lack of a better term, like a Chipotle effect where like Chipotle became really popular and everything was made with wood and metal inside of Chipotle and then wood and metal and kind of, um, more bare architecture and stuff like that became a lot more popular. Has that, is that really like changed and impacted, um, the level of, of the number of people coming to you for work? Absolutely. Um, I I feel like over the last five years, maybe even a little longer, I feel like America's appetite for handmade objects and crafted objects has become completely insatiable. And as somebody who makes handmade objects, it's, it's been wonderful to see. Um, if if I had been observing a trend toward molded plastic and fiberglass, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation today. <laughs> but yeah, you know, restaurants, retails, retail uh, stores, um, people's homes, people's second homes, people's offices. The way that people, the way that people envision the objects that they choose to surround themselves with, and even the objects that they choose to represent themselves with, have become so much more human over the last twenty years. I feel like the 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 craftsmen, the makers, and the artists of the world have benefited from this shift. And I think it's a result of uh, the availability of things. I think that if you want to go, if you want to go and find someone like me and have something made, it's one of the last places where you can actually get that type of personal value. Not not so much a money value, but like a use value and a human value. And I think I think people are starving for it. I think there's a lot more people that want it than there are people who can give it. So it's been good. It's been really good. 
So, Andrew, what is it like working in an iron shop? I watched a video of yours online, and it just looked like such a fun, cool atmosphere to work in. It's really fun. It's um, it's loud. It's energetic. Um, it's physical. Sometimes it's difficult. Uh, it's a lot easier to wake up on Monday morning than it is on Friday morning. <laughs> by, by the end of the week, you're a little tired. Um, but we, we work as a team. There's five of us on the floor. We bounce ideas back and forth. We all challenge each other. We push each other. We're all competitive. Uh, we're all friends. We're all good at what we do. And there's a lot of trash talking. And um, we, uh, we do good work together. And we're all proud of what we make. Uh, and there are very few places where every single person is allowed to have input on the end product and where everybody involved has an equal amount of pride that the piece is as good as it can be. Do you feel that having a full-time job with, with crafts, with your hands in, in a trade like this has changed you as a person? It's definitely changed me as a person. Um, I, uh, I've had to work on so many things and with my personality over the years, as far as, uh, the way that I perceive things and the way that I approach things, uh, the way that I deal with people, the way that I deal with employees and the way that I deal with clients and the way that, the way that I handle business dealings and whether or not, I take it personally that somebody doesn't want something that I that I find so important. These kind of things are these kind of things are 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 personal uh, when you are making things that you care so much about, um, and things that take so long to make builds patience. And dealing with people day to day, the guys that work in the shop with me, we've all had to learn lots of different things about being human beings in order to keep that sort of close relationship and friendship through a business relationship. And I don't know if it's like that in other jobs. I've never had another job. So. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> I'm lucky in that respect. Yeah, for uh, sure. But I know that when you, I know that when you work in close quarters with people and you put yourself out there, um, and you make decisions and you give your opinion that there are a lot of opportunities for frustration and there's a lot of opportunities to disappoint. And those are all the kinds of things that make you grow as a person. Um, so yes, I've working in a metal shop has influenced me personally in so many ways. Um, all right, Andrew, let's go ahead and wind this thing down. What um what advice would you give someone if they were looking to get into a trade of some kind, like working with their hands like this? I would I would encourage anybody who wants to learn a trade and learn the business of a trade to find somebody like me and reach out to them. And if it's all at all possible, work for them. Uh, you can learn more in a day 
working in a real shop than you can learn anywhere else. Um, I'm not saying that school's not a good idea. School's a great idea. And I learned a ton of stuff at school. Uh, but I learn a lot every day working and making things in a real shop. So it's, I think it's imperative that, that people uh, go and they find a place to work. Um, even if it's not exactly the shop that, or the shop, even if the shop doesn't match exactly what you want to do, uh, even if it's not even the right material, if you want to be a metal worker and you want to go work in a wood shop, that's okay. You're still working in a shop. You're learning the process of making things. You're learning the process of pleasing clients and delivering goods and putting your hands on something. And that's incredibly important. Uh, the experience that you can achieve by actually being involved in a creative process is invaluable. I love that, man. I love, I love the part about, like you said, not, not even worrying if it's the same medium that you wanted to, uh, to work with, just how, how much you're, you're going to learn in general, just being there. Absolutely. Um, it's all about making stuff. Yeah. Andrew, Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really great. And I'm going to put up links to all of uh, to your website and your work and everything on the Half Hour Intern website. So if any of you guys want to see the work that um, Andrew has done or PBS did an awesome little video on Andrew, I'll put up a link to that as well. Um, you should really check it out because the stuff that Andrew makes is absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, Andrew, thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. Blake, Blake, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate your interest in my work. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah, definitely, man. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby. I should totally be on this show. Then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.